At Online MedEd, we walk you through every topic in detail, so you're ready for the boards and the wards. In the neck trauma lecture, we're going to cover both penetrating and blunt. We're going to start off with the old school version of penetrating neck trauma. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about how it's changed. What I want you to do is be relevant. That is, know what's happening now, but also recognize that if they throw zones at you, then they want you to play it the old way and do the zone thing. If they don't, then they want you to do it the new way. And I'll show you there's not a whole lot different between the two ways, even though people really talk about them being very different. You'll see what I mean. On the back half, we're going to talk about blunt trauma and really get into the cord syndromes, how you make the diagnosis based on clinical presentation. Let's start off by going through the zones, the old way of doing neck trauma. This is a guy, he's looking up, he's unhappy. A really long neck, that's his collarbone. We used to divide the neck into three zones. Zone three is near the face. Zone two, in the middle. Zone one, near the collarbone. In zone one, you've got some arteries, you've got a trachea, and you've got an esophagus. And all of these things disappear into the chest. And you can imagine that if you have an injury of something and you lose control of the vascular supply, or literally the thing falls into the chest, it's no longer a neck surgery, it now turns into a chest surgery. So people used to be very leery about doing surgery there unless they had to. Same is true way up here near the head. The things you care about are the arteries. You lose control of the vascular supply going into the brain, you're going to suffer a pretty big stroke. So again, you didn't want to go exploring surgically without knowing you had to get in there. Alternatively, while you still have some stuff running through the middle of the neck, it's really easy to get access to either side, which meant that if you had a penetrating injury to the neck, you just went to surgery. Whereas if you had an injury to the other zones and the person was hemodynamically stable, you would do something else. In zone three, you'd get an arteriogram. In zone one, you'd need the arteriogram, an esophagram, and a bronch. And this is always for those people who were stable, but had evidence of neck injury, because if they were unstable, obviously it wouldn't matter. You had to save their life. They would just go to surgery. There's a lot of talk about penetrating neck trauma, so if you're on a trauma rotation, this is going to come up. But I'm going to show you just how closely the parallels the two and how not much has changed. New way of doing things. Someone comes in with a penetrating neck injury, that is, the platysma has been disrupted. The first thing you ask is, is the patient stable? We'll talk about what determines stable in a minute. Because if they are unstable... That is, they have positive hard signs. They get intubated and sent to the operating room. No change. If they are stable, that is, they have no hard signs, they are said to be stable. 
Then you ask, are they symptomatic? And symptomatic does not mean, oh, that my neck hurts because I've got a scrape. It means positive soft signs. If you've got positive soft signs, you're symptomatic. If you don't, you're asymptomatic. And even though you've got penetrating neck trauma, we're just going to observe you. You watch and you wait. If you're symptomatic, you get a CT angiogram. Multi-detector. These are pretty prevalent now in most institutions in the United States. If the CT angiogram were negative, you'd go to observation. And at any time that observation turned worse, soft signs or hard signs developed, you'd put them in the scanner. If the CT angiogram is positive, then we say, okay, you go to the operating room. The idea here was that it made sense that if you could get control of both ends of zone two, you wouldn't really have to worry about doing surgery. You could just get in there and explore. What happened, though, were people getting injuries to zone two who didn't need them, and they just went in anyway and caused more harm than good. And then also, doing these invasive procedures like arteriogram, esophagram, and bronch ended up with more complications. The CT angiogram takes the place of those things for all zones. If they're stable, you can get a good look with a CT angiogram that shows you the trachea, the esophagus, and the blood vessels. Now, I might miss some venous injuries. But the point is, instead of choosing the zone and choosing some sort of investigation, get the CT angio for stable symptomatic patients. So basically what this method does is it removes surgery and uses the CT angio instead of arteriogram, esophagram, and bronch. And of course it doesn't matter because they're going in the scanner anyway, so it doesn't matter what zone it is. So what makes hard signs and soft signs then? Hard signs are going to be things that cause airway compromise, look for gurgling, strider, impending airway collapse, or loss of airway. In terms of the vasculature, what you're looking for is an expanding hematoma, pulsatile bleeding, that's arterial, stroke, or frank shock. Soft signs are going to be signs of aerodigestive or vascular injury that aren't that bad. What you're looking for is dysphonia, dysphagia, it's esophagus, sub-Q air, sub-Q emphysema, crepitus, or any form of the hard signs that's mild. That is, there's bleeding, but it's not pulsatile. There's a hematoma, but it's not expanding. The airway is patent, but it's, it's got some bubbles in it. Right, so these are things that say, okay, there's something wrong, I gotta find out what's wrong, and then go to the OR versus the hard signs, which is, wow, they're unstable, gotta go right now. So see that you could easily replace CT angio with what zone are they in, and then line it up. So if you get a, if you get a question about zones, one, two, and three, if they don't mention zones, then it's probably CT angio. If you don't see CT angio as a choice, but you see a bunch of options, use the zone method. Alright. That's pe penetrating trauma. Let's talk about what we the cord syndromes and what happens in blunt trauma. So to, to do this, we have to understand the spinal cord, central canal, 
And this is at the level of one level. Right. In the back, we've got the dorsal columns medial lemniscus system, the DCMLS. This is responsible for proprioception and vibratory sense. Also sensation here in the middle, the ALS, this is pain and temperature. Off on the sides, but sort of anterior, is motor. The other thing you gotta know is where do these sensory fibers cross? So for the dorsal column medial meniscus system, they're going to cross somewhere up at the brain and then come down through the spinal cord. Motor does the same thing. Such that damage to the same side is going to cause ipsilateral loss because the, the fibers don't cross until the brain. That's contradictory to the ALS, which crosses at the level and goes up the other side. Why does this matter? You're going to have to take a list of symptoms and be the MRI. Ready? So, for example, if we lost half the cord, you'd have to be able to identify what would happen. At the site of the lesion, you have what's called lower motor neuron lesion. Because the, the neurons that are, were there, living at that level, are gone. So you're going to lose sensation. You'll lose pain and temp. Because the ALS is gone. You will lose the rest of sensation. Vibratory sense and position. DCMLM, DCMLS is gone. And you're going to lose motor. And because you have a lower motor neuron lesion, there's no final go signal. So at that level, there's going to be flaccid paralysis. And no reflexes. Below the site of the lesion, you'll have upper motor neuron lesions. Now you still lost pain and temp, and you still lost sensation. But below this level are still lower motor neuron lesions. The final go signal is still alive. It's lost the signal from above, so it can't be inhibited. But the reflex arc below the level of the lesion is still intact. So what you'll see is spastic paralysis. and increased reflexes. And you'll see an upward-going Babinski. The toes flare out when touched. And you have to know laterality. Because motor neuron lesions come down on the ipsilateral side, sensory neurons project on the ipsilateral side, but pain and temp on the contralateral side you're going to lose in a hemisection contralateral pain and temp and ipsilateral sensation with ipsilateral motor.
you don't understand why, go back two minutes, watch it again. Because if you understand hemisection, this is brown saccard, this is hemisection, and hemisection is almost always caused by a very sharp blade going through their neck, because to get exactly half of the cord is really hard. Hemisection is going to present with contralateral loss of pain and temperature, ipsilateral loss of sensation, and ipsilateral loss of motor. And taking what we know about this, if we did complete transection of the cord, you lose everything. At the site of the lesion, you would have a lower motor neuron lesion, below the lesion, upper motor neuron lesion, and of course you'd lose sensation, and you'd lose pain temp bilaterally. That's an easy one. You're probably not going to get asked that. But this is where it comes in. If you suspect someone's had some sort of trauma, or they have a fracture, or they have metastatic malignancy. If you're thinking that there is cord compression, you can do something about it. And cord compression is going to present with a focal neurologic deficit. The stuff that people miss, because it's not in the spinal tract like we're talking about here, is erectile dysfunction, or urinary, or bowel dysfunction, usually incontinence. If you see this trauma in a focal neurologic deficit, the damage is being caused not by the trauma itself. Usually it's caused by the edema swelling in a closed space compressing the cord. So if you see that, you should jump to dexamethasone, some sort of IV steroids. That's the only way they're going to regain any function is if you reduce the edema. Because the edema just go then the damage is going to be done. Now, if there was penetrating injury to the neck, well, whatever damage is done by the penetrating injury is done, but you still want to reduce the edema. You can make the diagnosis with an MRI, but it's very important you give them the steroids before the MRI, and for the test, use what you know to identify the lesion. Hemisection, complete cord section, this shouldn't be too hard. The three that you might get confused for one another are going to be the partial cord lesions. Anterior cord. You lose everything but maintain the DCLM MLS. So proprioception is good. But you're going to lose pain temp. And you're going to lose motor. This is almost always from a spinal artery occlusion. The next is central cord lesion. And there are two ways that central cord lesions can present. Both of them are going to be a problem with the area right near the canal. In one version, this thing sort of slowly erodes into the area around it. And in the other, there's an explosive destruction from coming out from the central cord. In the first case, where there's something slowly growing, that's going to be a syringomyelia, 
a syrinx. And generally, it's going to be loss of the ALS, so loss of pain and temperature, in a cape-like distribution. But if you have an old person who has hyperextension of their neck, as in a trauma, you can have a sudden acute damage that's also a central cord lesion where they're going to experience loss of pain and temp as well as loss of motor, again in the cape-like distribution. That is to say, only one area, only one dermatome is affected, hands usually more so than the feet, and it looks like they've got a floating lesion. So rather than all this business with the neurons passing through, the, the below the lesion is spared, above the lesion is spared, but only at the point of the lesion do they have weakness and changes in sensation. And lastly, as a posterior cord, if you couldn't see that one coming, this is very rare, but what you lose is a DCMLS. So you only lose sensation. Learning the mechanism isn't relevant. All right, so identifying cord syndromes. If you suspect someone's got a cord injury, give them steroids. Diagnose with an MRI. What you'll have to do for the test is use the information that they give you in the way of the physical exam to determine the level of the lesion and which side is broken. The ALS is backwards. Pain and temperature crosses at the site of the lesion. And then there's penetrating trauma. Know the zones and understand how you can simply take the zones and put them into this box or angiogram where you make the decision to do the testing based on the zone, knowing that you only got here because they're stable because if anyone is unstable in trauma, they go to surgery. That's neck trauma.